Charlene, you're really good at that. You know that? Like, you're just really good. Uh, a couple of announcements today, like we always do. But we're going to start with the most important announcement first. And that is that we have flowers here because today is Dan and Lucille's 69th wedding anniversary. Is it, I mean, can you conceive of such a thing? That is remarkable. 69 years. The, I still have this vision where we start doing like marriage seminar classes, but the requirement is that all of our teachers have to be married 50 years or more. Because if you, all that wisdom and knowledge, if you take that to the grave without sharing that with someone, like what a waste. So I, I haven't, if you have ideas, let me know, but we, we need to start something up. Other less important announcements. Um, this is our last Sunday on Song of Solomon. Uh, I have had a lot of fun. I hope you have enjoyed it as well, too. This is our last one, though. Um, we're going to do a kind of a short series on the I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. So we'll cover that for a couple of weeks. And then that will bring us up to Easter. And then after Easter, we're going to start another book of the Bible. I'm not sure which one yet, but if you have some favorites, uh, feel free to text me or email me. But we'll, we'll, we'll start up something uh, then again after Easter. A few things to, to put in your calendar to be aware of. Uh, on March 20, now that is Palm Sunday. Easter comes pretty early this year. So on March 20, we'll have Palm Sunday. We're uh, going to be inviting um, all the kids, uh, both you know Sunday morning and also the Wednesday night kids to come and show up and do the thing with the palm branches and, and uh, perhaps lead us in, a, in a, a song of worship. Also on that Sunday, we're going to be handing out cookies again, door to door. This is, you know, because we are a church, it is just kind of explicitly within our mandate that we be pursuing people who don't have a church home. I mean, that's just part of what it means to, to be a church. And so um, on March 20, we're going to be going uh, door to door with, with cookies and with trays. If you'd be interested in baking some cookies, talk to Jessica Tessman. I don't know if she has enough people yet, but there you go. That's a, that's a plug that you didn't know was coming. Um, so on March 20, we're going to be handing out cookies. Um, on Thursday, March 24, we are going to do Monday Thursday. Now, some of you have done this before. I've never done this before. This is kind of a new one for me. But on Thursday night at 6.30, we're going to meet in the family center or in, in the fellowship center. And um, there will be a light supper provided. But the focus of that evening is to really kind of, um, really kind of think through the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And so we'll, we'll be in there for about 30, 45 minutes. We'll have some stuff for the kids. There will be a, a light meal provided. And we're just going to reflect on that last meal that, that Jesus had with his disciples before he entered into his time of, of, um, of trial and then eventual crucifixion. So it's, it kind of intentionally kind of has sort of a, a somber, almost depressing feel. But you should come anyways. But that, that's what's going on. Then um, on uh, March 27 is Easter. So, um, yeah, and, then, and we'll have a fairly regular service, except, of course, we'll be celebrating Christ as risen, which will be awesome. So. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another good day, another good day to worship, another good day to sing, another good day to praise you, another good day to, uh, to listen to your word, uh, to study scriptures, 
So God, we pray that, that you would meet us here, that you would speak to us. Lord, it's our desire to be faithful to you, to know you, to honor you, to love you. Jesus, you are glorious, you are graceful, you are faithful, you are so very patient with us, far more than we deserve, and we thank you for that. We love you, Lord. Amen. Stand together as we uh, join in worship. Standing on the promises I cannot fail, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing on the promises, standing on the 
Well, at this point in the service, we always like to take a few minutes for prayer. And uh, this morning, I'll just I'll give you some space to, to just spend a little bit of quiet time with God. Pray kind of what's ever on your heart, um, what's ever on your mind. A couple things that I would uh, make you aware of. Uh, of course, we always have uh, prayer requests from the missionaries that we love and support and learn from. A couple other things. Uh, Henry Queering had a pacemaker put in uh, about a week ago. He's uh, still in the hospital. He's doing good, but they're keeping an eye on him. Um, Dan and Lucille, pray for them as well, too, as they, they celebrate their anniversary. Uh, and also the, the Heston community. Many of you are probably aware of this, but in Heston, Kansas, uh, they had a mass shooting there at, uh, at the Excel Industries. Uh, they're the place that makes Hustler lawnmowers. Heston is another... Um, sort of Mennonite hub, I guess you could say. So there's a lot of connections of people from here who know people uh, from there. And so um, they are just working through grief and loss and sorrow. And, um, you know, be praying for the churches as well, too, as, as they lead the community uh, in this time. And uh, so there's, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of heartache uh, going on.
there as well. So um, I'll just give you a, a few moments to pray, and you can just count on whatever's on your heart. You can do business with God, and then I'll, I'll close things off. Psalm 84, Lord, let this be our prayer. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valleys of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Heavenly Father, we invite your presence and your guidance this morning. And we love you, Lord. Amen. Ushers. Praise 
shoulders back, raised our swords to fight. For the Bible is our weapon, and the Spirit is our shield. The church needs more of the members to be workers in the field. Stepped into the water, way down a little bit deeper, wet your feet in the water of his love. Stepped into the water, way down a little bit deeper. Don't join angels singing praises to the Lamb of God. There is victory for the Christian who walks a narrow way. There has been a prize appointed for the soul that does not stray. Oh, I want to live for Jesus, be all that I should be, so that I can rest with him forever, live eternally. You know, as much as I have enjoyed this series, I, I do feel a little bit sorry for our worship leaders. They, uh, you know, they're always trying to find worship songs that align with what we're going to be talking about. And John often asks me, so what's the theme? We'll try to find some songs, you know, that match up with that. And, you know, when you're in Song of Solomon, the theme is romance and intimacy and conflict and honeymoon nights. And so if you got any hymns that match up with that... Uh, Good luck. So we, they've done, we sing about Jesus and it's, it's good. Uh, today we're going to wrap up Song of Solomon. We are in chapter 7, verse 11, and we're going to take it all the way to the very end. Uh, you know, the breaks in Song of Solomon are, are a little bit hard to identify depending on who you talk to. They, they split it up different ways that you can't necessarily just split it up by chapter. But uh, you just kind of, as how we've been working at it, we're in chapter 7, verse 11. And uh, really kind of two main themes. One is that you're going to hear them talk a lot just about the power of love, about the power of, of a committed love, right? There's different Hebrew words for love, but, but what they're really talking about is just the power of, of a committed relationship. 
And then they're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting back on history, on how they met. And you're actually going to hear them talk about kind of their value and their importance in, in really saving sex before marriage and, and how that was just really important to them. Um, but before we get there, though, in uh, chapter 7, verse 11, we're, gonna, we're just going to dive right in. It's the woman speaking, and she wants a weekend away with her man. Here's how she says it, though, in, in, in Hebrew poetry fashion. Uh, she says, Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. So this woman wants a weekend away with her man. Let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. She's saying, let's get away. Just us, no kids, no job, no responsibilities, just us. And folks, it is good for the two of you to get away, all right? Tending to your marriage is more important than tending to your, your job, than, 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 than kids in school, kids' activities. Uh, it's more important than tending to chores, I mean, not only does your marriage outlast all of those things, but in Scripture, your marriage is actually set up as an example of Christ's relationship with the church. I mean, in some ways, you are living out on display for others to see what it means for a husband to unconditionally love a wife and, and for a wife to love her husband. Your job does not carry that burden, all right? Even as a pastor... My relationship with my wife is more important than me leading this church. Okay? God says he'll build the church, but I am tasked with, with building my marriage and, and, and building my wife. She says, let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the, the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates in bloom. You know, throughout this book, she has used vineyard a lot of times and blossoms are metaphors for their relationship. And so I believe what she's saying here is let's spend time on our relationship. Uh, how are we doing as a couple? How can I serve you better? How can I love you better? Uh, what adventures should we have together? Where are you stressed out? How can I help alleviate that stress? They're, they're, they're building their, their relation. They're focused on their relationship. Do not, do not build your relationship on sex or on finances or on kids. Have you seen the couple when the kids go off to college where they divorce? Because I have. Kids become the focal point of the marriage. Kind of forget how to interact, just the two of them. I, you know, each story is different. I've had that happen to my friends of mine. But somehow the, the focus became on the kids. And so when the kids left, kind of the, the glue that held everything together left. So they went their separate ways. Don't marry for money. You marry for money, you will earn every penny of that fortune, and it will be bitter. And you never build a relationship on sex. Sex is the result of a good marriage. It is not the foundation. Several years ago, one of these popular magazines, I don't know which one, like 
Rolling Stones or Cosmo or something like that. They did some survey. They surveyed a bunch of women, and they said, who are the most sexually satisfied women? You know what they found out? Married monogamous women. Freaked them out. They called it like Revenge of the Urban Housewife or something like that. They had some kind of weird title for it. It was just, it was results they weren't expecting. Never should be sex be used as a pillar of your marriage. Verse 13, the mandrakes give forth fragrance. Beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Mandrakes were an, were an aphrodisiac. Um, you actually see them referenced, and I think it's Genesis 30, the, the story of, I think it's uh, Jacob. Uh, so you can kind of cross-reference that. And uh, so it, it's, you know, kind of Viagra today. I didn't say that. Um, then she says, you know, beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. This is Hebrew for, I got a new nightgown. I still have the old one. I brought that one too. But I got a new nightgown. New as well as old. Beside our doors, available to us. This, this is Hebrew for, I have a new idea. Something I want to try. We have a pretty good repertoire, but I have a new idea. This woman is expressing incredible freedom when it comes to marital intimacy. And folks, this idea of freedom within marriage, I want you to latch on to that. You know, my reading on this, uh, I, th- I think it was C.J. Mahoney. I, I, I forget which one, but I had this fascinating concept. And, he, you, you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, right? No sin, nothing. Everything was perfect. Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve rebelled. Sin enters the world, and pretty much everything gets corrupted. And his thought was that there are very few things that have maintained their purity from before, from the Garden of Eden until now. And intimacy within marriage is one of those things. That intimacy within marriage has maintained its purity from before the Garden until now. See, we spend so much time kind of talking about how sex outside of marriage is bad that sometimes that taints our view of intimacy within marriage. Here's here's kind of a little test for you. If God were to walk in on you and your spouse, you know, kind of tussling the sheets a little bit, what would his reaction be? If God caught you, what would his reaction be? Because if you imagine anything other than Solomon chapter 5, verse 1, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. If you imagine anything other than that, then your view on God is wrong and your view on sex is wrong. Freedom within marriage. I want you to latch on to that. Chapter 8, they started discourse on, on, on the power of love. Verse 1, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you, and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink and the juice of my pomegranate. His left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it uh, pleases. This woman wants to kiss her man in public. But culturally, that was unacceptable in that day. And I kind of wrestle with this one. 
Because she, she is expressing a desire to have freedom for more public affection. But at the same time, she seems to respect the, the cultural norm on what's permissible and what's not. Uh, she, you know, you, she's kind of frustrated with it, but at the same time, she honors it. And so it really kind of begs the question, where's the line on this, right? Because you can, you, uh, just don't name names, all right? But in your mind, you can think of someone who you would consider a bit more prudish than what you would prefer. And you can think of someone who would be like a bit more free-going, you know, than what you would prefer. But on the flip side, to someone else, you're, you're the prudish one, or you're kind of the one who just does a bit too much in public, right? And it, it's really kind of a, a culturally determined thing. You know, we were, um, I remember we were visiting the, the Portugal team, and we are in this park, beautiful city park, you know, and we're in Europe, and beautiful city park, and, you know, beautiful buildings all around, and there's this young couple, and you're like, wow, I, you know, it is okay to just straddle your man and make out like the plane is going down. Oh, that's cool. Um, kind of wish my wife was here. We'd grab the next bench over, you know, but I can't do that in this town. Um, I probably shouldn't do that in this town, right? But how do you, how do you just kind of de- handle that? And it's, and it's just wisdom and discernment, really. Um, understanding your, your surroundings. Knowing where the line is. So anyway, she desires more public affection. Um, but, but, but seems to, to sort of submit to the cultural norms. Verse 2, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. Uh, his left hand is under my head, his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So she longs to give to her man privately as well as publicly. Uh, and once again, they put out this warning signal to the friends. And the wording on this is very strong. In essence, it means swear to me. You swear to me that you will not embark on this journey until the time is right. Because these feelings are, are, are overpowering. Make that promise to me. Single people, you never, you never put yourself in a careless situation where you think that you'll have the self-will to resist. You never trust your strength of will. You trust your planning. You trust your guardrails. You trust your accountability. But you never trust your strength of will. This is the third time, Song of Solomon, where they say you do not trust yourself. These feelings are strong. Very strong. Verse 5, who is this coming up from the wilderness? Leaning on her beloved. Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she bore you was in labor. So her friends see her returning from the retreat. They, they observe that they're leaning on one or that they're in love, that, that they have a good relationship. It's kind of interesting, but it, it might, kind of a stretch, but it might be telling us that this woman is so transformed in a positive way that they don't recognize her. Right? It, it says, who is this? coming up. So she is so radiant, she is so beautiful, she is so glowing that they almost don't recognize this woman because she is in such a a healthy, God-honoring relationship. I can remember twice 
where an individual, and in both cases it was a female, had a, just, a, just a, a powerful encountering with God on one day. On the next day, her countenance was visibly more radiant, and other people commented on it. That just, she was, I, I don't even know how to describe it, other than her countenance was more radiant to the point that other people noticed. Within a 24-hour time period, other people noticed and they commented on it. The man speaks, um, uh, under the apple tree I awakened you, there your mother was in labor with you. Um, apple trees were associated with love. And so it's, it's kind of like he's saying, you were born for me. From, from the moment that you were born, we, we were destined for one another. We were meant for one another uh, from the time of your birth. Uh, many of you are married, so this question is well behind you. Some of you are still single. One of the great questions of the universe when you are single is that, is there just one person for me, or do I just find some quasi-acceptably good-looking person who's God-loving, and we just kind of make it work? I don't know if you remember back to those days. This is a huge question, all right? Out of the billions of people on this earth, does God have just one, or am I on my own and I just kind of find the best available? I don't know that we have a, a verse that really nails this down. I mean, we have this one in Song of Solomon, but it's a bit cryptic. Here's, here's my theory on this. Marriage, for, well, first of all, marriage is the second most important decision in your life, right? First most important decision is whether or not you follow Jesus. So second most important decision, who you marry. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has certain good works that he would like us to do. And my theory is that if God has, has enough plan and detail to plan out certain good works, why would he not carry who you marry? My belief is that God will get as involved as you invite him. I believe that God is a gentleman. I don't think he'll force his way into this situation. And so if you just say, you know, I'm, I just want to make this decision on my own, I think he'll honor that. But if you say, uh, you know, God, I could, I could use a lot of help. There's a lot of people out there. Help. <laughs> you can say help a lot. It's okay, I do. Help. I, th- I think God will honor that. I think he will get as involved as you, as you um, invite him. I firmly believe that God was involved in bringing Joanne and I together. I also believe that he was involved in keeping us apart for a season. When we were in college, I, I had a thing for Joanne. I had a crush on Joanne. I really wanted to talk to her about it for whatever reason. At the time, it seemed very odd. But I felt like I had strong clarity that I was not to talk to her about it, which didn't make any sense because I really didn't think she liked me. So, like, what's lost, right? But I just had this strong sense. Do not bring this up. Don't talk about this. And I had a bad attitude, right? Not very Christian moment in my history. But I did it, okay? Um... We graduated college, we went our separate ways, and we, we were able to do things as singles that we only could have done as singles. After seven years, God has brought, brought us back together, the relationship took off. Come to find out that in college, Joanne also had a thing for me. So had I talked to her then, we would have entered into that relationship prematurely, and we either would have suffered hurt and pain, or we would have missed out on some really great things that God had for us. 
Your first agenda is not in finding a mate. Your first agenda is following the Lord. You do that, and at the right time, God will bring along the right person. Verse 6, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. You know, it could be the man-woman, it could be the woman speaking. It really kind of fits either way. Set me as a seal upon your heart and upon your arm, right? A seal was a mark of ownership. It was a mark of authority. the, The heart and the arm represent thought and action, right? Not necessarily emotion. For them, the belly was the seat of emotion. The heart was was this was the core of your being. It, it was a place from which decisions were made. So this person, man or woman, they're they're saying permanently, I am your focus when it comes to thoughts and when it comes to action. I'm it. Okay, you are focused on me. You are committed to me forever. I am committed to you forever. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Death is ultimate. It is unavoidable. It is certain. No one escapes death. Death cannot be overcome. And they're saying that that their commitment and their love to one another is like that. The Hebrew word for love here is not the emotional love. It's it's not the sexual love. It's the committed relational love. This is a choice. It's not a feeling. And jealousy. Biblical jealousy. When we think of jealousy, we think of kind of temper tantrums and, and mad and anger, sometimes violence. Biblical jealousy is wanting what's rightfully yours. Uh, biblical jealousy is exclusivity. It's saying that belongs to me alone. That's how God is jealous for our worship. Because it belongs to him alone. It is rightfully his and his alone. No one else gets to cut in on our worship. It is exclusively for God. Uh, its flashes are flashes of fire. Uh, you could say it's kind of like its arrows are the flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. You could almost say like it's like lightning. Uh, so committed love, it's like flashes of lightning. It's something that comes from God, which is a very uh, strong verse, that this kind of commitment comes from the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can uh, uh, floods drown it. Uh, it cannot be suppressed. It cannot be purchased if a man offered all the wealth of his house. This whole section is them saying, I am committed to you to the grave. And, and, and this is why it's so important to, to marry well, right? It's rough being single and wishing you were married. It is awful being married and wishing you were single. That, that is a pain you do not want to experience. Marry, marry well, people. The couple has just finished a discourse on, on the power of, of commitment, on the power of committed love. And now they go back in time. And they're going to reflect on two things. One, how they met. And, and, and two, just the, the value of, of saving themselves sexually for marriage. The brothers speak for the first time. This is the first time we hear them in this whole thing. She referenced the brothers early on. This is the first time they speak. They say, we have a little sister... She has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So here's what they're saying. 
They say we have a little sister. She's still very young. This is, this is before puberty. What are we going to do to nurture her, to care for her, and to help her prepare for the day of her marriage, i.e. the day that she has spoken for? And their decision is that they are going to handle their sister as follows. This is their game plan. This is their brilliant game plan. If she is a wall, we will build on her battlements of silver. If she is a door, we will encase her with boards of cedar. A little cryptic, isn't it? This is a metaphor for the young girl's behavior. Is she a wall? Who goes through a wall? Who goes in and out of a wall? No one. Right? There's no... It's a wall. There's no access. There's no entry to a wall. This verse is speaking of her sexual purity, her chastity before marriage. If she is a wall, if she has good boundaries, if she makes wise decisions, um, if, if she's, you know, uh, just on, on, has good habits where, she, where she's staying pure, they're going to honor her. They're going to esteem her. Battlements of silver. These are costly. They're innate. They're visible. They're going to honor her and respect her. If she is a door, if she behaves like a door, the brothers are going to encase her in panels of cedar. They're going to put boundaries and limitations. They're going to take away her cell phone. They're going to stalk her Facebook page. They're going to give her a tight curfew if she is a door. Austin Powers called this the village bicycle for just some translation here. If she is a door, all kinds of stuff, all right? So if she behaves that way, they're going to put all these limitations on her life. They're going to enclose her with strong boundaries that have the strength of cedar boards. Singles, be the wall. A, a thousand times over, it is to your advantage, be the wall. Just write that on your dresser mirror. I am the wall. Be the wall, okay? In marriage, you have all kinds of freedom. Before marriage, I am the wall. She speaks into the conversation, verse 10. I was a wall. And my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. She says three things. One, she saves herself from marriage. She's a wall. Secondly, as a result of that, when she's older, when she has matured, then she was one who brought Solomon peace. The word then in the Hebrew is very strong. It's, it's, it's emphasized. So there's this strong sense of before and after or cause and effect. So after she decides to be virtuous and chaste, then she encounters Solomon and she becomes to him one who brings peace. Huge concept. After she decides to be virtuous, after she decides to be the wall, then she meets Solomon. There's also kind of a cute play on words here. Um, the word for peace is shalom, which is actually the root word for Solomon. And so it, it's kind of this almost, this almost this poetic way of saying, not only did Solomon find peace in me, Solomon found himself in me. Solomon found Solomon in me. He, he, he found himself in me. Because of her history, because she was a wall, Solomon trusted this woman and he found peace and fulfillment in her. Verse 11 and 12 tells how they met. Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring forth its fruit, a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. 
You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. In chapter 1, verse 6, this girl had to work in the vineyards. She says, do not gaze at me because I am dark. The sun has looked on me. She's talking about how she had a dark tan. She didn't like it. And she says, my brother's sons, i.e. her brothers, were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. Parents, listen to this next section very carefully. When this girl had to go work in the vineyards, she was all pouty about it. Right? She complained that her brothers hated her, that they were angry with her. Her friends were, you know, inside, not getting tan, looking at Glamour magazine, whatever. Meanwhile, she's forced to work because her super mean brothers were just super mean. But she did it. And she was obedient to authority, and she went and worked. While she was working in those vineyards, doing the work that she didn't want to do, who does she meet? Solomon, because Solomon was the owner of the vineyards. He lent out his vineyards to workers, her brothers. So, I mean, you guys are farmers. You understand this. Solomon rents out the field for a thousand pieces of silver. Those who work the field then can keep whatever profits they want. Her brothers were either the ones who rented or they were part of that business deal. They rented a field from Solomon. Oh, and by the way, they have a young sister that they may go work in the field. And what happens while she's working in the field? Probably with a bad attitude, but she's in the field. She meets Solomon. The love of her life. And her entire life has changed. Because she was willing to be obedient to to those in authority, and, and she went ahead and did it. And her brothers really weren't that mean. They were actually looking out for her. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. My vineyard, my body is before me, is what she says. Solomon can keep his thousand. The workers who are supposed to pay me two hundred, they can keep theirs. I get Solomon. Keep your money, I don't want it. I get Solomon. The love and the care of her brother sent her to the fields to work. Her obedience took her there. She was a virtuous young woman. She remained the wall. And as a result, as a result of those things, the result is the entire previous seven chapters. The book doesn't start with how they met. It starts with them dating. So we have these entire seven chapters of this this perfect romance story. And then at the very end, she tells us, Oh, by the way, and she connects it back to the beginning, this is how we met. The result of her working in the field and being the wall, what does she get? She gets Song of Solomon chapters 1 to 8. Parents, there's some good stuff in there. Last two verses of the book. O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like the gazelle or the young stag on the mountains of spice. You know what this is Hebrew for? This is Hebrew for, you know, hey, sweetheart, just a little note to tell you that I love you, that I'm excited to come home to you and to hear your voice. I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear how your day went. Your voice is music to my ears. I want to hear all that's going on. I want you to talk to me. 
Husbands, write that note. See how that goes with your wife. Do it a couple times. Here's the last verse in this book. Uh, Make haste, my beloved, be like the gazelle or the young stag on the mountains of spice. Mountains of spice. These are the same as the mountains of Beser. This is the same as the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Her final statement, or her words, are kind of like a little note to her husband saying, Hurry home, I really want to make love to you. Ladies, try that. See if your husband is late from work. He will be home at five. He'll leave early. And what a way to end a book of the Bible. I mean, realistically, this is our last verse in a book of the Bible. Tell me scripture isn't fun, okay? So today's theme. They, they wanted a romantic getaway, so they had a getaway. Uh, they covered a lot about just the commitment of love, uh, the, the power, what's involved with that. And they talked history about how they met and about being the wall. And at the end, it ends with, hurry home, my love, hurry home. In Song Song, we've covered a lot. It, it is a wonderful book. It is a, it is a poetic book. It is a romantic book. It is steamy. It's a piece of poetry that God gave us as a healthy blueprint for marital relationships. It is the perfect love story. But what do you do when your story is not this story? And see, here's the dirty little secret. Because this is the perfect story, really it means that this isn't anyone's story. It's really not so much, is that my story? It's really, how far am I from that story? In Scripture, God outlines perfect unity. So we strive towards that by the power of His Holy Spirit. God, God outlines perfect forgiveness. So we strive towards that in the power of the Holy Spirit. God outlines um, you know, perfect authority, perfect submission, perfect love, perfect grace. And we strive for that in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Song of Solomon, He outlines perfect romance, perfect intimacy, perfect conflict, reconciliation within a marriage. And we strive towards that. So it's not so much, is this my story? It's, it's more of, how, how far does my story diverge from the perfect story? But I do believe that we can work towards this. But the only way that, that we work towards God's perfect story is in the power of God. And you don't have the power of God unless you meet the Son of God. Raised from the dead, who can give life to your mortal bodies who will dwell within you, who can have personal relationship with the God who wrote this. By recognizing your sin, that he died upon the cross, that he was punished for you, that he rose from the dead, and that you can receive him into your life, be be declared righteous, be declared forgiven, just like that. I mean, do you have confidence that if you die tonight, that you go to heaven? Here's another way to say this that really kind of cuts to the meat of it. If you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Because if you're thinking that your answer is going to be a list of all the good things you've done, then you failed. All right, you're not a Christian. Being a Christian isn't what you do, it's who you are. The only answer that gets you in is, I believe in Jesus. I believe that God raised him from the dead. I've given him my sin, my life. I accept his forgiveness. I accept his righteousness. Once Christ is your Savior and He lives within you, then by working together with Him, 
you can begin to write your story or to rewrite your story. God's forte is fresh beginnings. His forte is, is new beginnings. Even for those of you that have been a Christian since, like, a long time ago, I won't do dates. There is always space. There is always room for fresh beginnings. I do fresh beginnings all the time. Because I can sin with the best of them. All right? God's forte is fresh beginnings and new beginnings. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Your story starts anew the moment you say yes to Jesus. And from that point forward, with God's help, you can have this kind of story. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the perfect love story that you gave us in Scripture. Thank you for the perfect example of romance, of purity, of restraint, of generosity, of giving to one another, of conflict reconciliation, the perfect example on how to love our spouse, support our spouse, forgive our spouse, bless our spouse. God, we recognize that because it is the perfect story, it's not any of our stories, but Lord, we need your power to work towards that. And so, Lord, at, at, at some level, all of us need a, a fresh beginning. Maybe it's a fresh beginning in how we talk to our spouse. Maybe we need to start at the very beginning with just a, a, a new beginning with you, Lord. But wherever our point of beginning is, God, we invite you into our life. We ask you to lead us, guide us, encourage us, correct us. That by your spirit, that we would build uh, and work towards the, the perfect love story. Lord, this morning we have a lot of gratitude and a lot of thanks and a lot of acceptance of you. Amen.